Welcome to the Good Music Podcast, a show where we discuss artists, songs, and talk about why we love them. New episodes every Monday morning at 9 a.m. Central. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and become a patron to gain access to exclusive content. And now, on with the show. of the Good Music Podcast. I'm Lucas. And I'm Grant. And if you're joining us for the very first time, welcome. We are so glad you're here to join us on this journey of discovering good music. If you like what you hear, and we hope you do, be sure to leave a like, subscribe on whatever platform you're on, maybe leave a review if you're so daring. If you want to get in on the conversation and meet some other good music appreciators and get information about new episodes and fun things like that, go to our Facebook and Instagram page at Good Music Podcast. If you're very particular about your good music and you want the early access to episodes and exclusive access to our After Hours Bad Music Podcast where we essentially make fun of all the artists that we have sung the praises of for about two hours, then go to the link in the description to a Patreon page. It's our Patreon page for just a few bucks a month. You can get access to that stuff. And it lets us know that you like what you hear, and we really appreciate all of our patrons for helping us make this podcast happen. Oh boy, the artist we're talking about today <laughs> is, well, back to the eighties. It, it well, it's yes, yeah, back to the eighties. It's just it it it's a name that's been thrown around a lot. But... Yes, it has been. I've I <laughs> I know I've said multiple times that of just like man, I've got to do an episode on these guys, and then I just never got around to it. Yeah, yeah. I have no idea. I, I, anyway, we're talking about Duran Duran, guys. <laughs> if, I don't think we mentioned that yet. I guess we can go ahead and kick off into first thoughts before we get too carried away. Yeah, go for but, it. It seems like you my... were already getting there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was getting there. Um, so I had no real, like, before I listened to this set that we're going to talk about. I couldn't have named a single Duran Duran song. Obviously, I know one of them because everybody knows that song. Hungry Like the Wolf, right? You kind of have oh, yeah. to be a, live under a rock to not know, to not have heard Hungry Like the Wolf one time yeah, in your life. That's become gonna, one of like the most popular songs of the 80s. Right. But I'm going to be honest, that song has always annoyed me to no end. Like... Any song that has to do with wolves being hungry or like eyes of tigers or things like that, that are just like very cliche things. You know what I mean? They're very specific things. Well, but it's just, I don't know. It's something about that where it's just like, that's not that. I don't know. Anyway. And so I, having known that knowledge of like the fact that they wrote Hungry Like the Wolf, I would have probably put myself at like a four. <laughs> Because I just I was just like the only experience I'd had with them is just like, oh, not this song again. Right. But because I didn't know that, I'd say I'd have to be reasonable and say, OK, I, I'm an uninformed five. And I I have learned that through the listening, that that was a very 
improper ranking and obviously i'll talk about that a whole lot later but it was just it it was just a weird eye-opening experience to hear this like actually listen to, to duran duran and be like oh my gosh this is actually amazing stuff so anyway i'm not gonna i'm not gonna talk anymore lucas's first thought is coming up guys are you excited i am oh wow you're building this up okay <laughs> Um, all right, so Duran Duran. I, my dad is a huge Duran Duran fan. I believe that. Try, try and say that five times fast. I, I, I believe that Harry is a big Duran Duran fan too now. Yes, he is. Um, so I listened to them a lot growing up. Um, like Hungry Like the Wolf is one of those songs that – I feel like I have the one of the farthest memories going back and like knowing that that song existed. Whoa. It's just, it was just one of those. It's one of those songs that just like, you can't remember the first time you heard it because you've just, you've always heard it. Mm-hmm. It's always been there. And um, so I definitely knew about Duran Duran. I would say that I had a couple songs of theirs that I would say that I loved, but those were also just about the only songs that I knew. So, like, I had never taken the time to listen to an album of theirs. You know, like, I felt like I knew their sound well enough to where if one of their songs came on the radio, like, I felt like I could recognize them. To where Mm -hmm. I was just like, oh, yeah, that sounds like Duran Duran. Or if I, like, I would hear uh, my, one of my old work partners, we, we did, we worked on houses together. Uh, I'm just going to call him Uncle Joshy, and he'll know who he is whenever I mention him. Uh, he had a 80s deep cuts playlist that he always played while we were working. And I heard a, several Duran Duran songs I'd never heard before in that process and I'd never heard the songs. I wasn't told who they were, but I just, I was able to listen to, it. I was just like, that sounds like Duran Duran. He was like, yeah. I was like, huh, I've never heard this song before. I like it. So I would say that like, I would put myself going into this episode, like a week six, like a week to a middle, just because it was just like, I could say that I could name maybe five songs total that I knew by them. And I understood that they were great. I understood that they uh, that they are one of the great 80s pop bands, but I couldn't really tell you too much past that. Right. So, so this was definitely me learning a lot this episode through the research. So – Um, I was really excited to do it. I I love having the opportunities to the, or the excuse to just go, Hey, let's just go for it. So this is uh, a fan requested episode. Mm -hmm. Um, But this, this is from the, uh, the process when I put all those, uh, all those polls on Instagram and just gave you guys, I just, I pretty much just picked a bunch of genres and then, uh, just kind of put two bands that are pretty big in that genre or that time period or whatever my criteria was. And I put this up against uh, the talking heads, which honestly, in my mind, I was just like, this probably will go either way because they, 
they in a way kind of attract very different audiences even though they're from the same genre of new wave mm. but also at the same time like you know they're just they're they're similar and yet quite different and i figured that i would get a a wide range of people voting for either or mm-hmm. and i kind of didn't know which one was gonna be picked and duran kind of just ever so slightly uh notched out the win there so mm-hmm. so this is one i i'm pretty sure someone at some point has said do a duran duran episode on like one of our comments in our reviews or mm-hmm. but i i couldn't i couldn't find the exact one but i i was fairly sure I'd remembered seeing that before. So, and I'll, and if, if I'd asked my dad, hey, what's an artist I should do that I haven't done one yet? That's likely one of the ones he would say, hey, you should do a Duran Duran episode. He was very excited when I told him I was. <laughs> and then all of a sudden had a lot of opinions on you need to do, you need to talk about this song. Don't forget about this one. Yeah. And yeah. funny enough, like the first three he said, I was just like, well, actually those, I picked those three. So, I guess that's good on me, and it wasn't, yeah. the th- and it wasn't three that I already knew. Wow. Well, there you go. You're growing. You're growing in your appreciation of your dad's music. Look at that. Oh yeah, he's he's very proud. He's uh, it it seems that he's got a very wide range of appreciation for music. Whereas, like, my dad is a, oh, yeah, rat and scorpions. That's so diverse, you know, but <laughs> I'm not, I, I'm, I'm, I'm being too mean to my dad. He, well, he has, a, he has good taste for that 80s rock and roll stuff, you know, that's where I get that. Yeah. My, so. my dad listened to the radio. So he, like, the other day, we played a game where I, um, just randomly started, a 80s song it was it was every number one song in the 80s oh wow and i just put it in a random spot in the middle of the song and he had five seconds to tell me what it was out of like the several hundred over a 10-year period there was only like two that he didn't know oh my goodness and not just that like he like even to where he knew the the song the artist and could sing whatever word was being sung at the moment that I dropped the needle. That's pretty impressive. He, he is a, a walking eighties music encyclopedia and my mom could do the same thing with the seventies. It kind of helps that they were alive during. Those yeah. Days. But you know, they, they <laughs> were, they both were people that didn't just, uh, have like their bands that they sat and obsessed over, like oh, yeah. they were they were students of everything that was popular. So you know, just they they lived and breathed top forty, which back in that day was a lot better than what it is now. <laughs> so okay, so that leads into Duran Duran, right? Were they a number one? Did they have a number one? Yeah, they had two. They had two. Look at that. So uh, we're only going like to talk about one of them tonight. So what's the other one? Uh, it's a song called "The Reflex." The Reflex, and it's on the it's on the uh, the their third album, Seven and the Ragged Tiger." It sounds like a line dance song. 
It's <laughs> yeah. Everybody do the it's, reflex. It's a pretty wild song. Um, it was not what I expected to hear, especially I I had heard of it, but I'd never heard it, and I saw ahead of time that it was number one, and uh, I was I was quite surprised by how it sounded. Not not at all that it was bad, but it was just it was. I was just like, huh. I didn't. I didn't expect them to have this aspect to their sound. Yeah, there was a, there was a lot of that in this in this set of songs. And then the other one that we are going to talk about is not going to be one that you would expect. Oh, it's not a. It's not the number one that you think it would be. As in, okay. as in. Unless and I think you, I know what it is now. Okay, I'll be curious to see <laughs> maybe, what, what you think not. it is. <laughs> maybe not. So yeah, Duran Duran though, I would say first half of the '80s in particular, that was like that was a huge time for them. Uh, one of the bands that shaped the '80s, and definitely one of the first major bands of MTV, and that was a big reason why they exploded. Ah. Uh. They got they the music were, video art. Uh huh. They yeah, they were right there at the at the birth, kind of in that the, those very first batch of videos that they released on MTV. They were able to get in on that. Wow. Yeah. That that'll help. <laughs> uh huh. And yeah. that being a video band was really what helped them kind of break away from what everyone else was doing. In a way, they set a big precedent for the style and the look of the eighties. Like when you think of like eighties pop bands and you think of like the crazy, like flock of seagulls type haircut and, Mm -hmm. and like the people with like nice posh suits, but also makeup and crazy hair. Um, Duran was, they were kind of the, the band that popularized that. Okay. They pretty much every, New Wave One Hit Wonder from like 82 to 86 was trying to be the next Duran Duran. Oh my. That talk about influence then. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they were they were definitely by far the uh they were not the first 80s new wave band. In fact, they kind of really came in on the tail end of new wave as far as new wave's growth and innovation. Mm. I guess we should also talk talked about new wave before because when we did blondie yeah and then you weren't with us when we did about our first episode on the cars uh no. that they were also they were the cars might really be they were i would say they're the first new wave band to get big but you had that first wave the first wave of new wave that's mm-hmm. that's a really concise sentence um, but that included the uh, the Talking Heads and Blondie, and the Cars. Uh, the Police would fit in that uh, in that realm. Pretty much like it was late seventies. Um, I guess if you had to pick a, an ancestor, probably Roxy Music. They what they were doing in the early to mid seventies kind of laid the groundwork for all that, and it's, and and it also kind of comes from the glam scene in the early 70s as well it was a it was a bit of a natural progression from that it was the glam but it was also infused a bit with punk 
not necessarily in the the speed and the aggression, but more in the uh, the attitude. You look at a lot of late 70s, early 80s, new wave that's not as much about getting on the radio, but more about there's a lot of political messages. There's, you know, it's got it's got a very much a FU attitude about it, mm-hmm. but not in the, you know, spike hair, burn down the palace type way. It's more about articulation and um, and trying to get something across. Ah, that's that's so weird that you would put cars and blonde or the cars. Sorry, the cars. Don't don't go after me. And Blondie and and the police is being. I see. I can see the police, but like the cars and Blondie being like the ancestors to what Duran Duran's sound was. Yeah. And also a, another big component of that is the, the marriage of synthesizers and, yeah, that. and, and keyboards. That was, that was, if you had to pick a sound yeah. to, to new wave, that was a big thing was, is making the synth a lead instrument alongside the guitar, but not in a way to where it feels super techno but it's definitely got a lot of loops, a lot of it's, it's very new wave was really good at using it as a glue to hold everything together without it being too overpowering. Yeah. Without it turning into dubstep where it's all synthesized. Yeah. Or even what started to happen by the mid to late eighties where it was just like, everything was on a keyboard. You still had, you know, for the most part, real drums, uh, you still had guitar and bass. It wasn't like a completely machine. It's not Kraftwerk, where it's, you know, it's not electronic music. But there is a very strong synth presence. Yeah, I, I noticed that, like, there were some intense guitar moments where I'm like, you wouldn't think about having something like that in a, in a synth-focused band. Yeah. That really, the- it, it, isn't, it isn't like synthesizer and then all the um all the instruments are like supporting that Mm -hmm. it's kind of just adding synth to an already great sound and it's just it's something that's a little bit new yeah when duran duran is when duran duran's at their best the synths don't lead the way it's it's it it's the glue it holds everything together Fills in every crack that needs to be filled, but um, you know. So Duran, they like I said, they kind of came in a bit on the later part of the new wave movement. Um, They didn't as much carry the message, and again, not every new wave band did that, but that was a strong component of it. Um, Obviously, the Cars were never really an issues political band, but yeah. Um, but definitely bands like the Talking Heads and the Police sure were. Mm-hmm. So when they came in, they also had a big love for funk and disco. And so their idea was, we want to have New Wave, but make it dancey and groovy. Ah. If, if y'all if y'all hear hear any weird sounds, it's just because the wind's blowing quite hard tonight. <laughs> So yeah, if you hear any, would... if you hear any ghosts, just a, it's not because this it is, was... we're not trying to be spooky. 
<laughs> it was snowing earlier today. I know. It doesn't but, snow too often in Oklahoma. It would like we were having band practice and we just look out the, the window and it's just like, oh, it's I snowing, guess it's right snowing now. now. Yeah. Yeah. It was really cool. Anyway. Yeah. I was wondering what that was. I'm like, you better look out. You're going to get haunted by the ghost of Duran yeah. Duran past or something. I'm like. a. You know, ambient sound is just something you just got to accept until it's, we get a high-end studio. It's the glue that holds the podcast together. There you go. Yeah. So, okay, so that's that's a question. Is Duran Duran still together? Yes, they are. Wow. So they had a new they still... album. They had a new album come out this year or no. last year. I gotta gotta keep remembering. It's 2022 now. Ooh. Okay. Yeah, that, last okay. year. That's quite nifty. So that's a long run. Yes, there was a, there was a bit of a hiatus in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and there's even talks that there might be a Duran Duran biopic in the works. Biopic. Yeah. What, I, I don't know what that means. Should I know what that means? By like a like a like a movie. Oh, okay. A biography <laughs> picture. Ah, I thought it was like biopic, like, I don't know, they pick their biographies or biologies. No, like like the, the Bohemian Rhapsody movie, that was a biopic. Okay, okay, okay. It's starting to make sense in my in my head. Yes, I thought everyone biopic. knew that term. My apologies. I, hey, well, you learn something new every day. Oh, yeah. This is a, the learning channel. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's what TLC uh, is supposed to stand for, but well, you don't really learn much from that channel anymore. You learn how much weddings cost now. Yeah, and you <laughs> learn a lot about K one visas. <laughs> anyway, okay, so they're so, still together. They're making stuff. They've been around since well, since okay, let's talk about their origin. Yeah, so oh, well, let's first talk about who's in Duran Duran. Right. Um, Duran, so there's. Uh, the ideal Duran lineup is five guys. Okay. You've got Simon LeBon as the lead singer. Okay. You've got um, Nick Rhodes on keyboards. And then these next three, I promise you, are not related. We have Andy Taylor on guitar, John Taylor on drums, and Roger Taylor or sorry, John Taylor on bass, Roger Taylor on drums. I've heard that name, Roger Taylor. That's because it's Queen's drummer. Not the same drummer, but they have the same name. Oh my gosh, that is so weird. So not only are there three Taylors in the band, but there are two famous Roger Taylor drummers. And they're not related. None of them are none, none, None three of the Taylors are related. When I first learned this, I was just like, oh... At least two of them have got to be brothers, right? And none of them were. That's that's pretty funny. Yeah. That is pretty, yeah, it's pretty funny, actually, yeah. So why do you say ideal? Because they haven't always been a five-piece. When um, the late 80s, they went down to a three-piece plus session members. Oh. So we and lost some tailors. We lost two tailors. Which one? Which one did we keep? We kept John Taylor, the bassist. Yes. So but John Taylor is kind of there's not an official leader in Duran Duran. 
but if but if you could say if there was a a driving force, it would be bassist John Taylor. It was it, it started off kind of as his band, uh, him and him and Nick Rhodes. They were um, good friends since they were like 10, 11 years old and just always hung around each other, played in multiple bands together, finally created a band of their own. And they were, the, it was them two plus a couple of other people that started it as Duran Duran. And then um, multiple people started to trickle in. I think, I want to say they formed the band in like 78. When John and Nick were like seventeen and fifteen, respectively. Oh my gosh! Mm-hmm. I don't think that Nick was even legally an adult when their first record came out in nineteen eighty. <laughs> That's kind of awesome. Yeah, I I know for sure that John was nineteen and that Nick was a couple years younger than him, like a year and a half or two years younger. So was was it good? Yeah, it's an incredible first record. Really? Oh, it's, hey. It's it's one of those it's one of those defining 80s records. I feel like I've heard Girls on Film before. Oh yeah, that's one of their biggest hits. And Planet Earth was a huge hit for them as well. Wow. It went number yeah. 1 in Australia. That's that's incredible. Yeah, they they hit the ground running pretty quickly. So, um so yeah, over the over those couple of years leading up to that first record, they were able to fill out the roster with everyone else. Simon LeBron was actually the last member to join. And you know, everyone always assumes that in a band the singer is the leader, but uh and he has definitely I would say nowadays there's kind of three central leaders, that being John, Nick, and Simon. Mm-hmm. Um but you know Simon was is usually was not the at least in the beginning kind of involved in the business decisions. That was usually left to John and Nick because they were the two founding members. But they made an intentional decision not to have a leader, to not have it be or just like you know so and so has the final say or you know when this person presents a song like you got to do it his way. There wasn't there wasn't a main songwriter, although Simon was typically the main lyricist. Uh, it was usually a, a a true joint collaboration. They wrote most of their songs. Usually, uh, you know, they would usually someone would bring the initial seed, you know, a riff or a keyboard line or a groove. And then they would just build it from there. And they made the decision right at the beginning that all songwriting credits would be split equal five ways, no matter who wrote it. Hmm. And it, and it worked out. It did. Of all the fighting that they eventually got into in the mid-80s, songwriting royalties and credits and money were not among them. Wow. Which is usually the main reason people yeah. fight. That's weird. So, like, what did they, what did they get into? Drugs. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay, that'll kind of make. As well weird. as competing side projects. Yeah. So, but we'll we'll get into that later. Anyway, okay. Uh, so yeah, they 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 had very much a team aspect 
to what they did right from the beginning. So even though like it would have been easy for John and Nick to say we're the leaders because we founded the band, but um, they did not act that way. And they said that if they hadn't have, that probably they wouldn't have lasted as long as they did and probably still wouldn't be together today. Hmm. Because it's just they they knew that that was always the the downfall. So they were just like, we want to just nip this in the bud right at the right at the top. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, and it was just in their mind, they were just like, literally, all five of us do contribute. Mm-hmm. It's never we never have just one person that goes and writes through a whole song. And I guess that that's why some of their songs sound so wacky. Yeah, it's definitely a very intentional blend of contrasting uh, influences. One of the things that was the most interesting to realize as I was listening to them is how active the bass is. Mm -hmm. And it was a delight to realize it. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say that the bass is probably the lead instrument. Like, so many of their songs are built around an incredible bass drum groove. And the drums are usually playing fairly straightforward. Mm-hmm. It's more just about, like, just keeping it nice and solid. And then John is just, like, he's going all of, like, that bass line in Rio and mm-hmm. just about every bass line on that whole album is just, like, holy crap. And And on the first record... It's 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 the it's the thing melodically that jumps out to you the most. The guitars and the keyboards are kind of more support positions. It, there's it's not as much riffing, and you don't really have a whole lot of solos. It's it's primarily, I would say, musically, and as far as like the instrument that's doing the most to kind of like show off in a way is the bass. Huh. That, you wouldn't think about that. Like the the bassist forming the band and then being like the show off instrument. It's it's very Iron Maiden. It's very well yeah, but like you also think about a, a band like Genesis or Judas Priest, right? Where it's like a bassist was a founding member or the founding member. And it's like very, very simple bass lines. Yeah. And nothing against nothing against those basses. But it's just like they seem to play a more support role and let the talent they found like kind of show through. But I mean you always you always want to promote your talent. I guess if if the bass is the talented member, I mean they're all talented, but if the bass is like what you're trying to promote as the talent, then you know let that let that shine through. And it it definitely does. Right. And you're right, like that that glue of the keyboards holding everything together. I think there are like still some some guitar moments though. Oh yeah, I'm not saying just like oh this is very this is very 80s guitar dive bomb harmonics, cool sounds. Let's go, you know. But you're right, it's very like restrained, rhythmic, like the the mix. Uh The mix is, is like what would usually be the rhythm section is almost kind of the lead because you have some weird drum grooves there as well 
Yeah. And that, and uh, that comes back to their love of, of funk and disco. Because you look back at all those records, bass and drums is what puts it forward. And uh. and it's, that's what gets people dancing. And that was always a very big, important thing is they wanted their songs to be played in the clubs. They wanted songs to where, like, when you listen to them, you couldn't help but get up and start moving. Okay. So I guess they were a big hit live. Yes, they were a great band live. Wow. And it, that just was seemed, it seemed like there's so many moving parts and, and they were such a video band, I guess, like you said. Didn't seem like they translate to live. Yeah, I mean, they were known as a video band, but that's not what they were best at. Uh, okay. That's just what people always associated them as because that was what finally helped them like break big. So um, we've got the first record. It does pretty well. Like, better than a lot of other people's debut records. But it's not a set-the-world-on-fire kind of record. Ah. But the follow-up was Rio, and that <laughs> was the were the biggest band in the world record. That's Rio is one of, I would say, one of the defining records of the 80s. And that's really saying something. Because there's a lot of great records in the 80s. Yeah, but I think, that's a I, real interesting album art to go with it. Oh, really yeah. I, that's so iconic. <laughs> yeah. I bet when you saw that, you were just like, I've seen that before. No, I haven't. I just really I wacky. I just was like, oh, my gosh, this is it. In a weird way, it's like the songs, some of the songs that were picked um, from Rio for this set. Well, especially the title song was just it it felt like yes <laughs> i i feel like i feel like it was this is like a yes part 2 where we're looking at like the 80s era hmm interesting cuz it just it's like it, it's it's enough of that post prog sound of just like wacky but you also have you know the synth and you have interesting melody I I thought they were like thought they were more simple than this stuff. Like this is this is new way for for musicians. Yeah. To pick apart and be like, oh my gosh, that was that was pretty interesting. Wacky is just like the perfect word. I don't want to overuse it, but like there are just some some parts in this set that I'm just like, this is just <laughs> this, like that's just not something you hear in conventional music. And I always thought Duran Duran was like a simple band. That's why they were so big. But I'm, you, you never really get big by being like everybody else. Oh, yeah. And they and I think the reason why you assume that they're like everybody else is because there were so many that came afterwards that wanted to be exactly like them. Yeah, that, that makes sense. They they created one of the biggest that I've ever seen. Because, again, like you look at just about every big MTV like pop band that kind of like you know was into the weird fashion like you look at stuff like culture club and and um and all that stuff that came that came afterward and it's just it's very obvious a flock of seagulls and mm -hmm. uh, they all just they wanted to be duran duran so bad they wanted to have those those hits those big videos and you know there's a reason Dorian was able to stay around for a while. It's because just at the end of the day, 
past the fashion, past the videos. They just they knew how to write great songs. Yeah. I mean, that's 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 what you get with a big front runner band of a genre. I mean, because I'm sure Metallica spawned infinite numbers of clones as well. And they were like a, a pretty big front runner of fashion. They didn't create it. Like Duran didn't create New Wave. But like they 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 had the look, they had the sound, they had the good songwriting. All of the members are fantastic at their instruments, whatever jokes you may throw around about Lars and Kirk, right? And I guess that's that's what Duran Duran was to to the genre was like the Metallica. I don't know. Yeah. I'm trying to relate things. It's it's a metalhead thing. You got to relate everything. You're hey, I'm I'm used to it with you. <laughs> it's, it's it's the translation that you have to make. I have yeah, I have to do that in my head. Well, because that's that's the way that I am. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm filling in the the new listeners. I like it. Like, it. It gives a unique perspective. It well, yeah, it does, and that's just everybody's coming from a different perspective when you listen to new music, and it's just you gotta. You got to relate it to something that you're that you're aware of, or maybe it's something you've never heard anything like it before, which is also interesting. Yeah. So, so yeah, Rio gets huge, um, and that was kind of that was the moment that they made it. And of course, you know, it's it's a double edged sword. You want the big fame, but also once you get it, there's a pressure to maintain it. And oh, yeah. immediately on the follow-up to Rio, it was a hard act to follow because they were just like, crap, how do we – and it, in many ways, Rio is one of those records where it's just like, how do you do better than this? It's it's a gosh darn near perfect record. I had never listened to it all the way through before. I knew a couple of the big songs off of it, but – researching this and listening to it, I was just like, good God, they got it about as right as you can get. Wow. On that. So if you need an album to go listen to afterwards, <laughs> like it has to be Rio. I was just thinking that. Then I, I I just might do that. Yeah, I could have I could have done a whole episode just on that one album and had six great songs. I think almost I think almost the whole record made it into the top 25 of my ranked playlist of theirs. Wow. And the okay. one that didn't make it was sitting at like 27 or 28. How long is that list? Um, I'll have to, I'll have to take a look. I, I well, went... I guess it's actually pretty long because they, they've been around for quite a well, while. Not necessarily. It's all dependent on what I have time to do. Oh, okay. okay. I, did, I wasn't able to get through the whole thing. Um, I did about six hours worth, which I, I had less time to work with than I because mm-hmm. I was on went on vacation and had other Christmas and and still yeah. getting through holidays. I've got uh, I've got three. All three of my children have birthdays within a one month period, so we had we oh, had my. birthday part. Like a lot's been going on. <laughs> yeah. And so to squeeze in enough to at least cover what I needed to cover uh, was about six hours. Wow. Um, If I were to look at how many songs that was, it was uh, 85 songs. Oh, my. 
So that that covers like their first fifteen years or so. And I guess that was their their height as well. Well, no, I would say it was their height and quality, but they didn't start going number one until uh, the third record, which was Seven and the Ragged Tiger. That was when they oh. got their. That was you know that was where the reflex was and got them their first number one hit, and. It was just at that point the momentum was working for them, and mm-hmm. unless it was unless they released something that was vastly inferior, they were gonna win. They they store they were able to win enough good faith with Rio that you know they were gonna be supported unless they just did something crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, Seven of the Ragged Tiger is a really good album. The only thing I would say, looking, it feels a bit dated now or at all mm-hmm. and just because it's it's seven sounds like an old 80s pop record where it's, it's very produced lots of sounds almost too much sounds at times to where you look listen back and you can kind of pinball just go yeah i know exactly when that came out that's a mid 80s record right there yeah it was it was a very successful record. Uh, already, even making that record, the band started to kind of fracture, um, particularly because they were they were freaked out by the pressure that they felt to to not only repeat Rio but to outdo it. Mm-hmm. That it took them a very long time to make that record, and that's also when the drugs really started to. Uh, to kick in, cocaine was the main drug. Oh wow! So, which I mean, that was the main drug for just about everyone in the eighties. That's like the drug of the eighties. Yeah. Um, I would say of the seventies, probably too. Well, I mean, they're just going straight to cocaine, you know. Yeah. <laughs> just, you know, re- release an album when you're not even eighteen, and then by the third one, you're on cocaine. Yep. Oh boy. So yeah, once once that entered the picture, then uh, you know, of course, that's going to start to fray people's views of reality, and yeah. you start getting paranoid about is someone going against my back? Uh, mm. You know, just weird things start to happen, as well as just the the crack of just you know, can we keep our place on top? Yeah. So after Seven and the Ragged Tiger, which it took them a very long time to make that album, they they constantly kept going to different studios in different places, trying to get it done. But then, for various reasons, are just get fed up with the location they're in, go somewhere else, pretty much start the process over again. Um, it's it started to to not be fun. The, the grind of what they were doing and then just of course now that they were the biggest band in the world that means that their touring went crazy mm-hmm. you know doing those you know 300 shows a year runs where you're spending seven months in the u.s alone and then eight months later you're back there because you just got bigger there and you've got all these new places to go play yeah 
they were in the machine for sure. And their management didn't really treat them that well. Their management definitely took advantage of them and and milked them for as much as they could. Did not give them a chance to rest. We're constantly saying, we need a new single. Come on, let's just, just, just go get a new single that we can release. It'll be a hit. Come on, go. Okay, we just added tons more dates to this tour. Go out there, go. Make us money. Yeah, that can kind of get a little exacerbating. Yeah, and so the members all felt that they needed something else to do because already the stress of being in Duran Duran was taking a toll on them. Mm-hmm. So two different side projects uh, emerged right after this record. You had uh, John and Andy Taylor making uh, The Power Station with a uh, with a pre-fame Robert Palmer, which is crazy to, th- to think about. Wow. And this was they, – they made the album. It went fairly big, but then right after that, his big record came out and he quit the band because he's like guys i just got a number one hit i've got to go do my own thing (laughs) well yeah that that makes sense yeah that was that was when addicted to love came out and that was a huge song and just that overall that record was massive for him was kind of his big breakthrough so they didn't hold it against him at the same time they're like crap that's like now we don't we can't do anything Mm. It's freaking Robert Palmer. We're not going to find a better vocalist than that. And then um, Simon, Nick, and Roger formed Arcadia, which if you remember, we did uh, back when we used to do bonus songs. Yes. We did that for the Sting episode. I remember that. Oh, what was the name of the song? I remember oh, I really, really liking it. Yeah, I can't remember. And that was whenever I had talked to us. I was like, oh, I got to do a Duran episode soon. And then two years later, here we are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll find but, it. But yeah, that record also was super big. And so there was there was this jealousy that started to form. They were starting to compare their solo projects to each other. Ooh, nope. And of course, That's that good. never uh, that never creates good... Uh, uh the promise that's right yes i re- i remember really liking that song okay that's interesting so uh so yeah that was uh that that created a lot of tensions and then yeah. uh the last thing that the uh the classic lineup did together was a view to a kill Ooh. which was the theme song to the james bond film of that name and they did a James Bond. Oh wow. Yeah, that's a that's that, a that's a Bond theme. That's how you know you've made it when you're mm-hmm. writing the James Bond film theme. Yeah. And then right after that, their last show together as a as the classic era was uh doing Live Aid. And mm-hmm. when they were at the Philadelphia show and it was really good for them because the uh the at the time that they were doing that performance was when a view to a kill was a number one single hmm. so they they're the only band that got to be on the biggest stage of the world while their song was at number one on the charts 
it, Live Aid is just such a interesting moment in history. We always talk about it. It's it <laughs> finds its way into just about. It's always funny when I'm listening to. By the way, I always I keep saying I want to do this, and I always forget to. My source for a lot of this info was John Taylor's autobiography in the Pleasure Groove. And it was it was actually narrated by him too. Listen to the audiobook. That was really fun to listen to. Uh, but it's always funny when I'm listening to these audiobooks and I get to 1985 and they talk about Bob Geldof called me about this thing called Live Aid and I'm just like, okay, now it's time to get their perspective on the on on the show. <laughs> it, it's it's like a, one of those things in Doctor Who. What are they called? They're like fixed points in time. It's like Live yes. Aid is one of those fixed points. In yes, time. it is. It <laughs> it truly is. Oh my gosh! Yeah, that's so many things. Ha- I mean. It seems like we talk about that all the time, and and Phil Collins had like three different performances or whatever. Yeah, we had the reunited Led Zeppelin, groups. and of course Queen, and U two. Like that was their, that was yeah, that was their big break, their big break, and it was Duran Duran's final thing. Yep. Oh as gosh. well as they got to be the only band to to play while being number out, one out of all the bands. Yeah. Wow. So that gives you a perspective that at 1985, they pretty much were the biggest band in the world. Yeah, well. But then after that, that's kind of when everything started to fall apart. I guess it was it was a crash and burn style situation. No, not crash Whoa. and burn. It was it was not a a glorious spin downward. It was a slow decline. But the big thing that happened was. Uh, Roger and Andy leaving the band. Yep. They had, they had secured themselves a hiatus mm-hmm. and um, they both said that they were just like, I, after regaining some normalcy in my life, I don't want to go back. <laughs> Man, that really sucks. Yeah, you so. kind of, you kind of get everything you ever wanted, you know, with all the, the fame and the music and the touring and all the money. And then <laughs> you don't want it again. Yeah. That's, that's kind of, uh, that kind of shows you. So, anyway. so, but they were able to come back in 86 with a, a fairly good record called notorious. And they were able to get a couple of top 10 hits out of it. Uh, okay. But you know, there, there definitely was a sense that it was, it wasn't as big as it was before. Mm. And, you know, missing key, two key members. And it, it was at this point that kind of solidified that John, Nick, and Simon were the main three of the band. Mm-hmm. Because it turned, it went, it got to a point to where that was the band. And they just, they had to hire session musicians to hire out the rest. To, or to fill out the rest of the roster. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it just it started I would say after that album, that's when when things hit rock bottom with uh Big Thing and then Liberty. Both of those albums were legitimate flops. Oh boy. Okay. And by that time we get to the nineties, and of course kind to most eighties bands. Yeah. But Duran Duran was able to have a pretty good comeback in 93 with uh it's 
it's self-titled, but also their first album is self-titled. So the second self-titled is often called the wedding album. Because it's ah, the, the front cover has a bunch yeah. of wedding pictures on it. Two self-titles. Well, I mean, their name is Duran Duran, so, you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, by the way, in case you were wondering what the heck does Duran Duran mean? Yes, uh, I was. Actually. It's uh, it's from a movie called Barbarella. Apparently, that's the villain's name. And they were big fans of that movie. Oh, man. And they just thought there's, it sounded cool. <laughs> there's a There's a legal case in there somewhere. they actually met some of the people that were in the movie and they were just like oh we're flattered that you took your name from our movie thanks and they were like okay cool never mind then I guess there isn't a legal case yeah Uh, so so yeah 90 they were able to go to like so Ordinary World was the big hit off that album Mm -hmm. and they it went to number three on the charts Oh, wow. So, like, that was... It wasn't just a, like, oh, that's a pretty good... Like, it was a legitimate smash hit. And then they had another song from that album, uh, Come Undone, that went somewhere top ten. So, like, it was a legitimate, you know, like, we're back. Uh And had John decided that he did not want to continue and instead focus on raising a family, they probably could have done well through through the 90s. But that's kind of when the, the the hiatus happened, where they were just like, okay, you know, they they stopped right at the moment that they almost like they they pulled a painkiller. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I know what you mean. Nineties comeback, almost better than ever, and then all the momentum is just completely halted. Well, they kept making albums, but I guess they yes, they came they came back in the. In the 2000s. There's a 95-something. Thank you. There, it might be a compilation record. I I will admit that that was at the point that I I ended my research. Because it was, it was as far as I needed to get. Again, I, I, I was, I was fighting with a bit of limited time. Yeah. But, you know. There, there will always there. We can always cover that in a in a Duran volume two. It's what true. happened after that? A Duran two electric boogaloo. Yeah. So that's that's going to be the scope we're going to be looking at, though. We're going to be okay. we're going to look from um, from eighty two to ninety three. We gotta so. call. We gotta call the Duran Duran volume two. Duran Duran Duran. I, it should be Duran 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 Duran. You got to oh, double yeah, it. That's, oh, you got to. That's true. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I think I think we have some good context for what we're going to be hearing. Yes, I think this will be as good as time as any to take a break, and when we come back, we will uh, talk about the six songs that we have picked for this episode. So. We'll be right back.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everyone, to the Good Music Podcast. And now it is time to talk about... I started that really weird. You know what? We're just going to keep going. It's time to talk about the song (laughs) that we have selected for this episode. Usually I'm like, oh, we've been talking about Duran Duran. And then I didn't say that. And I'm like, and now it's time. It's like there was no end to it. I thought you were going to just be really theatrical. I was just like, oh, okay. Okay, well... It's the way it is. It's the way it is. We're not editing it. I don't want to do any edits. We did such a good first section with no edits. That was completely unedited, everybody. It was fantastic. Hold your applause until all the sets are over. Anyway, (laughs) we're going to talk about the six songs for the set. And you're probably thinking, ah, I can just go listen to Duran Duran on my own or whatever. I've got all the information. There's nothing more to talk about. We like to have the six song segment. Lucas likes to put together these um playlist so that we can listen to and talk about things that we normally wouldn't get to talk about for the um first segment and so we can highlight some more interesting things and things that we wouldn't otherwise talk about and it's also just a great listening experience get introduced to the music we are talking about musicians at the end of the day get introduced to their music get introduced to their sound and just have a nice listening experience if you want to have that listening experience which of course we highly recommend that you do. Down in the description of every single episode is a link to a Spotify playlist, which has every single song from every single episode, past, present, and future, of course, including this one. So you'll want to find those songs. If you see other songs on that list that you're like, hmm, this is pretty interesting. I want to listen to this painkiller song by Judas Priest. I want to hear more about that. We have an episode about that. That's why it's on the list. So you'll definitely want to check that out. And without any more rambling from me, it's time to talk about the title song for Rio, which is our first song, which got the wacky, I'm using that word again, wacky intro. Yeah. Fade in. What is that? A piano or something? Yeah, it's uh, it's a bunch of uh, steel bars put on the inside, like like the 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 strings of a grand piano and then played backwards. Okay, wow. I, I, when I first, like, turned it on, I thought my volume was down because I didn't expect, like, a fade-in from Duran Duran. I was just expected, like, oh, it's synth time, let's go. And so this oh, is it's like... synth time! <laughs> well, okay. But, and then, of course, you have the Pokemon battle music sounding, like, stuff that comes in after <laughs> that. <laughs> And that's what I mean. Like, it sounded very post-prog and very technical. And I'm like, oh, this is not at all what I expected. I'm going to really like this set. (laughs) And I was right. I mean, wow. I did it again. It just subverts all your expectations just, like, right off the bat. But apparently this is, like, this has stood the test of time as one of their big songs. Yeah, so, yeah, this is is definitely in the upper... uh echelons of dorian hits uh this was this was a hit before hungry like the wolf was 
Oh. So uh, they, like the wolf did the slow burn. Yes, they had to release it a couple times and then remix it and then release <laughs> it again. And then finally it became a hit. Uh, Rio, Rio, they were able to have a bit of an easier time of just going, let's just release it. Okay, it went big. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but this is also the song that opens the record. So to me, it was it was the the perfect way to start this set. Yeah. Um, because I think it does. I think that if you have any like preconceived notion of just like, you know, again, Duran is probably a band that you've heard of and have a, a preset image about. Mm-hmm. And I feel like Rio is instantly going to set a bar really high and in a yeah. really, and in a way that you're just like, is making you go okay this is this is going to be a different experience than what i was expecting yeah that's that's exactly what i thought like it it roped me in immediately i'm like i'm gonna have to actually pay attention to this set and i'm gonna i'm gonna be rewarded by everything every single thing that i'm gonna hear so did and, you uh did you know that it was Durand? like did you look and see who it was or did you just I, start listening I made the unfortunate mistake of catching a glimpse of what band we were going to talk about. And as soon as I saw it, I'm like, no, I ruined the, I ruined the um, illusion. But I guess that added to the experience that it was just like, I knew, I, okay, I thought I knew what I was going to hear and this wasn't it. And so that, I think that was, that was fortunate that I made that mistake. Because it's just it's a it's a much richer experience when you get your expectations completely subverted. Mm-hmm. It's just, just like, oh, this is a cool band. I wonder who it is. Oh, I guess it's Duran Duran. Cool. <laughs> you know. Well, you would have you would have uh, um, you would have known who it was as soon as Hungry Like the Wolf played. No, I I, I wouldn't have. I would have. Oh yeah, because you like, said you didn't, heard, you didn't know that I've they heard this did song that. before. You know, but. Anyway, yeah, yeah, and and you just you just have a lot of like Rio, like you have a lot of weird moments in this song, but they're all yeah, cool. it's like, a the saxophone solo, like that's so cool. Yeah, it's just they they make so many cool, interesting choices throughout this whole song. Yeah. Um, so did you? So you said you hadn't really noticed the bass playing uh, before on when you were listening. That wasn't the kind of, first thing that my ears went to. Man, the but, bass line on this song is just, yeah. it is insane. Yeah, the more you listen to it and the more you're able to like pick apart every part because like, oh, I've heard this keyboard part before. I wonder what the other instruments are doing. It's like, oh my gosh, there's a lot happening. Yeah. It's very melodic. It's not really following the chord structure that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's very slap or whatever the technique is. Bassists out there don't. It's just just syncopated. Although he does do a lot of slap and pluck playing. He's not doing that on Mm -hmm. this song. He's just just got a great syncopated groove. That's... This seems like it'd be so hard to pull off for an instrument that's so, I mean, literally bass heavy to to do a syncopated rhythm like that. Yeah, it's it's a ballsy move. Yeah. And it just, it definitely works. And man, I mean, sitting on top of that, you got 
layered, layered vocals. Oh yeah, so Simon's voice goes. is so recognizable. That's one of the that's one of the things like you hear and you're just like, oh yeah, that's Duran. He's mm. he's got a voice that doesn't really sound like anybody else's. It's very uniquely his. Hmm. Yeah, and it's it's not like it it feels like he could do anything he wanted with his voice. Like he doesn't have to take any shortcuts, like or shortcuts. He didn't have to make any certain uh, preparations like David Bowie would to be like, oh, I have to turn this melody into something that would be good for my voice. It's like he has he has like a like a good voice. Like he's got pipes, yeah. you know what I mean? And he can harmonize with himself so well. Oh like yeah, he really so well. And I honestly thought like there were multiple vocalists in Duran Duran. And I'm like, oh maybe they're called Duran Duran because it's like two brothers and their last name is Duran or something, you know? Because he's able to like change his voice to sound almost like a like have a different character to it. And and yet it sounds like someone who's very closely related to him. Of course, it's him, obviously. Yeah, yeah, he's definitely. It's not other members uh, harmonizing with him. He's harmonizing with himself. He's got he's got talent. He's got talent. Is 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 the point? Yeah, I love the way I love the comment I heard him about vocal harmonies. He said that he uh, visualized it like you're jumping to a pole. And once you grab a hold of that pole, you can spin in so many different ways. And he's like, that's the way I, I look at uh, vocal harmonies. Like, there's not just the cookie cutter of you just got to sing, you know, fifth above, third below, mm-hmm. you know, all the different things. It's like there's so many options that you have at your disposal. And yeah. it's you can experiment and just go, what's going to be the best one to use right here? He's he's got a way of doing vocal harmony where it doesn't sound like you can't hear the harmony. All you hear is the melody and you know, there's harmony there and you can't like pick it out. And it's such a cool sound. I practiced my harmony singing with these songs. I felt like I got a little bit better at it. Cause as you know, from, from our days recording uh, yeah. cover songs, that was always one of my weaknesses was, mm-hmm. was doing the harmonies. Mm. I'm still not good at it, but it was an interesting exercise to try and and better myself at it. Yeah, and I I felt like the 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 harmonies were interesting enough to where I was able to uh, I was able to have fun with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it 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 is kind of a sing along thing, and yeah. it sounds like it's just complete nonsensical lyric it's like ah rio dancing on the sand dance on the rio grande like that's kind of clever yeah so rio is about a girl but it's in a way it's a metaphor for america Ah. and just about how um you know they they're they still had ambitions and goals that they wanted to hit the big time and they knew that America was the place that it was going to happen. And so this was almost kind of like their love letter to America before they got to America. Wait, are they not from America? No. Oh yeah. I never even said it. They're a British band, by the way. Oh my gosh. That's a, (laughs) that's a big deal. Wow. From, from Birmingham. 
So another boy. another great band from Birmingham, along with Black Sabbath and Judas Priest. Oh my. Okay, that's that's a that's a worldview shift. They're from they're from England. Yeah, I I, in a way, I almost thought that that was like assumed, but no. <laughs> I just I just totally forgot about that part. Yeah, sorry guys, if you only listened to part one, then you missed out on a critical detail. <laughs> I, yeah, I guess it makes sense because you get the you get the the weird British way of singing yeah but it sounds like you i don't know but also a I, lot of people were intentionally it. imitating that in the 80s yeah it was exactly. it was cool to kind of put a british inflection on what you were doing on what you were singing it's a still kind of cool a la what the killers would eventually do later on down the road yeah still kind of cool i still do it so yeah Rio started just as a a ode to a beautiful waitress that they saw in a restaurant one night. That's when uh, uh, it was actually John that wrote down that very first line on the back of a cocktail napkin saying, uh, move down on the floor, babe, you're a bird of paradise. Cherry ice cream smile, I suppose it's very nice. And then was just like he, he just wrote that one line down. Was just like that could probably be used somewhere. And then he gave it to Simon, and he assumed that Simon would just like write a typical run of the mill like love anthem. And then he turned it into this whole you know like travel you know across the land Rio Grande. And he was just like oh, I I did not expect him to go in that direction, but cool. That that's something that you get with multiple influences mm -hmm. and uh this the video for rio was kind of like was their first huge video and is often considered their most iconic video mm. them okay. singing on a yacht as it <laughs> goes through the water in their uh expensive looking suits uh i think there i think there's some google images that have been ripped from that video because when I was looking at like their look, I'm like, hmm, some very expensive looking suits in some watery regions. Yep, that would like be. Uh, that's, that's probably uh, that's probably the Rio uh, shoot. Wow, that man! How would you like to shoot a music video on a yacht? Yeah, they didn't even plan to uh, make the video that day. They uh, they were actually in vacation, and the, a film crew showed up. Was just like, "Hey, by the way, we're gonna go ahead and shoot a video while while everyone's here. Is that cool?" They're like, "Uh, yeah, okay." I guess that was a that was a um, executive decision, a management decision that yeah, they couldn't but... really do anything about. Uh huh. But they they still thought they were just like, yeah, cool. This will be awesome. <laughs> and uh, they originally thought that the shoot was going to be indoors. That's why they put the suits on. And then I was just like, oh no, we were going to go on a yacht. Just keep what you got on. And uh, Nick Rhodes the whole time was freaking out because he's like, this is expensive silk. It's going to get ruined by the by the salt water. And it ends up being like, that's like that's like the iconic image of them is out on the water in these in these nice suits 
So it ended up working out okay. That's good. That's good for them. Not ruining their nice expensive suits on the new music video shoot. I guess that was their first their first video. No, it was not. Oh. Because they, they made videos for their first record. Oh, uh, okay. It was just the first one to go big. Big, yeah. And then, yeah, how about that ending? If you could almost say that that has enough catharsis in it to be an end song. Oh, yeah, we're just... You kind of get like the gang vocals and you have like the saxophone going mm-hmm. on. And the doo 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 doos. Well, it's just, it's like a nice get ready to party for the next five songs kind of thing. Yeah, like it definitely, by the time you get to the end of Rio, it's, you're pumped. You're yeah. ready to, you're ready to take whatever's coming next. But yeah, it's, you know, this is one that's, we're going to have catharsis at the beginning and the end. Yeah, you're. It kind of sets you up for your uh, your view to a kill. Oh yeah, it does. So this is this is the Bond film song, by which everyone is going to judge your career forever. Mm-hmm. Are you ready for a really cool statistic? I've I've always been ready for cool statistics. This is I think. the only this is the only Bond song to go to number one. Oh. So not oh. only did they get to have a chance to to do the Bond song, but technically they did it better than anyone else. Even Live and Let Die, even Skyfall. See, that's so weird. Yeah, that's so weird to think about because Live and Let Die is great. It's Paul McCartney. I mean, you got to like both I those things kind of help it. I will say that should have gone to number one. Yeah, and like Skyfall, that was Adele. I mean, during the period where everybody was just eating whatever Adele put out. Well, that's still happening. That has to the bone. Yeah, well, that's true too. But it was like she was. That was like her year. She was still right in the middle of her biggest period. Yeah, right. I, I get what you're saying. Right, and so the fact that that one didn't go to number one because I remember that was like all over the place, and I'm like, this is not that great of a song well, like, I, th- hey, I think it is i like i like the the movie i guess <laughs> you know yeah <laughs> when it came uh, out i was still kind of young so i didn't really understand like bond film lore yeah i did i, I remember going to see that in theaters i was already pretty firmly entrenched into bond at that point it's but, pretty good yeah it's 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 pretty good i would say it's maybe outside the top 10 Bond films, but that's a discussion for a whole different type of podcast. Yeah, it is. Um, but yeah, like, uh, I believe like Live and Let Die, like, got to number two, got really close, and I can't remember what, something kept it out of the top spot. But I think that that song should have been a number one hit. Because it's, that's a, that's a great song. Even the a great Bond song is going to be a perfect companion for the film, but it's also going to stand well as a great song, period. Mm-hmm. And Live and Let Die does that. And so does no a to Kill. It was a Bond song for the longest time. And I didn't think, like, you look at A View to a Kill and you listen to that song, you're like, ah, oh, this sounds like a Bond film. This sounds like a, a movie score. No, it sounds like a song. <laughs> yeah, it's got those elements, like yeah. those, 
like the the very intense spy sounding string mm-hmm. uh stabs mm-hmm. but you know at the at the very center of it yeah you just got a really well written pop song yeah and he's all like ah dance into the fire guys wow you know mm-hmm. that was a very bad representation of what the lyrics are actually saying that was not verbatim <laughs> Yeah, so the way that they were able to get this deal was uh, John Taylor just on happenstance ran into uh, uh, Albert Broccoli, who for the longest time was like the head executive of the Bond films. Like he was the guy that was making them. Oh. And um, he was probably high on drugs, which gave him the confidence to say this, but he went up to him, introduced himself, and he said – that uh, you haven't had a great Bond song in a while. Why don't we try and do one for you? <laughs> like just straight up told him this. Just like you haven't done a good Bond song in a while. <laughs> so the guy Jeez. that that makes is the head guy behind the movies. And surprisingly enough, though it worked. That's what got them the gig to do the movie. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. Oh, so yeah, that was that was a that was a bit of I would say that was a bit of good luck. Mm-hmm. That that did not go horribly. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, they got they got the opportunity to do it. And they had to they had to write the song alongside uh, uh, John Berryman, who is the uh, the guy that invented the James Bond theme. I say invented like it's a like it's an item but i mean honestly at this point it kind of is mm-hmm. the bond theme is one of the most iconic pieces of music probably ever you hear it and you instantly know what it is yeah yeah I and so for for a very long time until his death uh he also he did the scores for all those movies and so you know you can't when you write a bond song you're not writing it by yourself you got to team up with the with the guy that's doing the score as well and make sure that what whatever you two put together is uh simpatico yeah and it was obviously went to number yeah. one mm-hmm. again only bond song to do so so you know good job duran duran but it's just it's it's got so much flavor to it it's got this it has this this alluring aspect to it mm-hmm. uh, like the 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 and I think this is something you get whenever you're working with someone that does film score you're not gonna get your traditional pop structure like the the chord progression under like the pre-chorus where it's got the really suspenseful feel to it right before he goes into the dance through the fire mm-hmm. segment. It, it uh, it feels so cool, and it adds to that. Just again to that that danger, that spy aspect. Mm-hmm. And yeah. of course, just all the all the keyboard sounds just sound so cool throughout the yeah. song. <laughs> it it yeah. reminds me so much of. Did you ever play uh, uh Goldeneye on the N sixty four? Oh um, no, they had a version on the Wii. Uh, it's not the same because uh-huh. the uh, the soundtrack to that game 
sounds exactly like the keyboard samples from A View to a Kill. It's very techno sounding, partly because it's, mm-hmm. you know, limitations on what an N64, um, you know, sound right. system could do. But it was, it's, it's very mechanical and techno sounding, but a lot of the samples sound a lot like uh, the stuff on A View to a Kill. Wow. Now, the movie itself is one of the weaker Bond films. <laughs> that kind of sucks. So it, it, that kind of also helps the song's legacy because people are, are going to tend to remember the song before they remember the movie. Mm-hmm. It's a very forgettable movie. But, you know, it's the song has continued to, to kind of raise in stature as time has gone on. Wow. Well, good for them writing a Bond film. Number one, writing a Bond film. Whoa. Whoa. Writing a Bond film song. <laughs> Maybe not the whole film. Who knows? But. No, I'm I'm pretty sure they didn't write the whole film. I'll just go ahead and shut that one down right there. So, so this so this was after Seven and the Ragged Tiger, like immediately. Yeah, this was kind of like this was this was on the tail end of their initial glory period. Pre um pre Live Aid. And I Yeah, because and- well it was you could say that it was right in the middle of Live Aid. Because this was this was the song that was number one when they uh, yeah yeah, but they did release it before so yes they did okay, and it's not it's not standalone on Spotify that's kind of regrettable but you get it off the greatest hits album I guess yeah so yeah with with the on the cover art you have them on the yacht I guess mm-hmm. well, yeah I'm, that looks like what it is that's cool I'm, assu- I'm assuming it is that's cool. Man, are you hungry? Would you say <laughs> you're hungry like a I don't know, like a like a bobcat, maybe more like a wolf, actually. I think a wolf is a better descriptor. I'm hungry like the wolf. Alright, I'm not gonna sing the song because no one wants to hear that. We're talking about hungry like the wolf next. We're back to Rio. It's the song everybody knows. So what is this about, Lucas? This is, um, it's kind of a bit of a googly gawk song. It's, it's not something that means much of anything. It's more about the, the atmosphere and the feeling that it creates. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think kind of also, I think that kind of makes it cooler. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's one of the, yeah, you, 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 like this, these lyrics don't make any sense. But yet, at the same time, yeah. they feel they feel so cool when you sing them and when you hear them. I it's a, it's I'm gonna be honest. This is, effect. this is like a this is like a um, man in the mirror situation, where it's like I used to really hate man in the mirror, and then it was at the end of the Michael Jackson set, and now I'm like, oh, it's a really cool song, like. Listening to Rio and A View to a Kill, I'm like, wow, these guys are great musicians. 
And then I hear Hungry Like the Wolf again. I'm like, oh, they're not a one-off. This isn't like their only big hit. I shouldn't judge them by this song that annoys me because it's on the radio all the time. And in a way, it kind of loses that annoyance because you realize you like that the real legitimate musicians, yes. like yeah, a, a, like real musicians actually made this song, and like that funky like keyboard thing at the back that sounds like you know what I'm talking about. Sounds like Donkey Kong. Yes, yes, that's a that's perfect. Or like the GameCube intro where it's just like, yeah, you know. It's a great, um, it's a great synth loop. <laughs> yeah, no, it sounds amazing, and the do 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 or however it goes. Good it's God, just like, it's nonsense, and so it makes you think like, ah, oh, this isn't this isn't a real band. They're like a one hit wonder. But if you know who they are, and of course we talk about all their songs, you're like, oh my gosh, this is just one in a a long line of great great songs. songs. Yeah, yeah. That sounds so, completely different from this. At this point, when you were listening, because you, because again, you were telling me that you didn't know who Duran Duran was. Yeah. So when you heard this, were you just like, wait, oh my gosh, I didn't know this was them? Yeah, I had no idea. Yeah, I was just like, oh my gosh. I, I always assumed it was like some one, a hit, one wonder. hit wonder. Yeah, I always assumed it was just some random band, you know? But here we are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, to me, it is insane that this was not a number one hit. This should have been a number one. It got to number three. Wow. So it got but, blocked out by two things. Yeah. I'm I'm fairly sure by the time, because again, this, this kind of had a bit of a long trip up to the top. I want to mm. say that by the time this really started to get big, we were right in the middle of Thriller. Just about anything that tried to release in 83, like, got stonewalled. Yeah. Because just Thriller dominated. And everything from it dominated. And so yeah, there yeah. there are times where I'm just like, how did this... Whenever I ask myself, how did this not go number one? One of the first questions I asked was, did it come out in 83? <laughs> yeah. Because that, that is an immediate thing you can kind of check off the list. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's pretty that's pretty sad, but yet at the same time, I feel really like this good. is a song that because I feel like this is a song that has that has grown over time. I feel like yeah, as yeah. the more time has gone on, the more this has kind of risen to become one of the I- iconic songs of the eighties. Like, I feel like this is one of those, it's one of the first ones you go to when you're just like, when you think of 80s music, you think of Hungry Like the Wolf. Mm-hmm. And that is a, that's a huge thing to accomplish. Yeah. When you can say that you penned one of the biggest songs of a decade. Yeah. And, I mean, just, good lord, the sheer amount of iconic moments in this song. I mean the that guitar line. Mm-hmm. You've got the do 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 do. That's, I mean everybody knows that. Yeah. And then you've got the that chorus is just huge. It's it has so many things going for it. It's just I think that it's one of the best pop songs of the eighties. Just. 
pure hands down. It's got it's got all the elements, and it's got the it's got the wackiness, like it's got the it's got the cool keyboard loop. It's got the hits, the big where you can imagine the big bright stage lights are coming after you right after like the come in after anyway. yeah <laughs> you know you've got that you've got that really strange when you first hear it but great like that that giggle at the beginning there's i remember like a lot of the radio edits don't even include that they just go right into the song i remember hearing that on the album for the version for the first time and it it, it really caught me off guard mm. and i almost like didn't like it but the more times I heard, the more I was just like, you can't imagine the song starting without it. It just it gives it that extra little like mm-hmm. that little just something of extra mm-hmm. where you're just like, yeah, what a great little detail to just to just throw in there. Right. It it keeps it like all these things keep it from being cookie cutter, big eighty song. Mm hmm. You know, and when and when you really when you really go and listen to the song the way it was intended to be listened to, it's like oh my gosh, like there's there's little details like that and and like that section where you have those big toms and the drum or the drums the guitars is like dive bombing and this weird ambient reverb. It's like hungry like the wolf. It's like ooh, that's once again not something that you hear. In your cookie cutter eighty. Oh yeah, that's song. that's where most people would put a solo. Yeah, yeah. And there isn't one, and that's that is a really bizarre and yet very interesting and cool decision. Right, right. So it's just it's it's iconic. We we could talk about the parts of it. We want you guys to listen to the music. That's the whole point of this podcast. Go listen to the song, or maybe or maybe don't listen to the song and miss out on some interesting music okay you know big whoop you really showed us but you know go listen to the songs guys that's the whole point anyway i just i i have to say that because i've i've had a good experience with these first three songs already and let me tell you the next one with the song with the song title like union of the snake you're thinking it's going to be like a thrash song or, oh yeah. Or, well, we've we've got a testament song called Brotherhood of the Snake, right? Or or like or like the title song of like a concept record where it's like, oh, the union of the snake is gonna like destroy all the people who have. It's the guitars. secret organization pulling the street. Yeah, it's, you know, it's an, Operation it's a, Mind Crime. I was like, about to say it's very Operation <laughs> Mind Crime. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, but it, that's I I have no idea what it's about, but it sounds really dancey. And this, oh, is yeah. a, this is a real, I was, okay, so listening to this um, set, I was playing a lot of Pokemon Showdown. If you remember, it's like the Flash. Oh, perfect. Oh, it's it's amazing for, like, listening to Duran Duran, playing Pokemon. That's, like, that was my Wednesday afternoon this week. Our lab got canceled, so I'm like, I'm just going to take some time and just listen to some music. And play some Pokemon. And every time Union of the Snake came on, I'm like, oh, yeah, Union of the Snake. I'm like a Pokemon trainer from the Union of the Snake. I have no idea what that means, but maybe it made me battle better or worse. I don't know. Anyway, Union of the Snake, Seven and the Ragged Tiger. What is this song particularly about, Lucas? So this is uh, about battling the the inner darkness within yourself. 
Oh wow! So that's that's kind of what the union of the snake symbolizes. It's kind of the that that dark side that everyone has, and it's it's the constant push and pull of do I keep it in check? Do I embrace it? Do I can I even stop it, or is it going to ultimately take control? Wow, I was honestly expecting you to say, "Oh, there's no meaning. It's just nonsense words," and the is like everybody dancing on the dance floor. But no, that's like, you're just like, oh, it's about battling your inner demons. Whoa, okay. Now I can tell you what Harry told me it was about, not what he thinks it's about. He he legit told me, he was just like, it's about a group of bad guys that are trying to take over the world. That, and I was just like, okay. I would believe that. I would mm-hmm. 100% believe that. Because like, they're on the prowl. Yep. Uh, he was just like that. he was like in his mind he was like you need the snake that sounds like bad guys yeah and i mean he really wasn't that far off <laughs> that's true it's that's just true. that you were the bad guy all along god oh, what a plot twist you're the villain the audience is the villain man but like it's got the it's got the it's got the stabs well kind of not stabby stabs more like soft stabs with the keyboard yeah, this so whenever whenever I was talking about how Seven and the Ragged Tiger sounds very eighties, mm-hmm. um, you can you can definitely feel it in this song. But I would say that of all the songs on that album, this song does it the best. To where you have a lot going on and a lot of like just big sounds. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's you listen to this song and you're just and you're just like, yeah, this is very 80s. But on this song, it just it feels it's so well done and well executed that it just it works. Yeah, it really does. I mean, you got the you got the big drums with the fills and the toms and like the fills that aren't even on the fourth measure. And man, yeah, like all the parts are moving. It doesn't there's seem a like lot there's, going on. It doesn't seem like there's that many of the parts that are just sitting back and doing nothing. Like at times, you know, the drums are maybe like off playing straight beat, but there's also fills here and there and like cool, like off time toms. And really the interesting decision is the, the, what is laying back is the bass. Yeah. I was trying to pick out the bass part just now. Cause we'd been talking about it. I'm like, I can't hear it. Maybe it's, because like my headphones are down but yeah there's like no that was an intentional that was an intentional choice by him on that whole record to kind of to move back because he he knew that if he overplayed uh, not to say that he overplayed before but if he played busily Mm -hmm. with the direction that they were going with having lots of layered stuff going on that it was gonna become too much, and so he made the conscious decision to go. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna just sit this back a little bit and just be more of a groove presence, mm. which is a hard thing to do. Especially I am I am bass player. It's it's hard to resist the urge to just go full groove, especially <laughs> when you know you can. Yeah. No, I. I get that sometimes too when I'm sitting in on bass. It's just you you want to like start doing the slap bass and you want to start like run like walking the bass line everywhere you can 
And mm-hmm. meanwhile, it's like a really, really slow ballad. And the rest of the band is like, dude, come on. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's like... Nobody likes that guy. No. <laughs> well, the problem is I am that guy typically, you know, no matter what instrument I'm on, it's just, that's my inclination. But I mean, that that is musical responsibility, you know? Just sitting back and, and saying that the song's going to be really, really great if I don't do anything flashy at all. I just play play my very simple part. And it comes together, you know, everything comes together into this awesome union of the instruments, you know. And it's it's weird, the chord structure of that chorus, because you have, like, the one in... It, or I guess, you know, the minor one, whatever you want to title it as or label it as. as I don't know what the, the key is. And then you go to the five, which is, of course, minor. And then you go to the six, well, flat six major. That's like going from E minor to B minor to C. But it doesn't sound like that if you follow the melody. Like the melody is going kind of opposite. You have this, um, what is it called? Uh, counterpoint like motion or contrary motion or whatever it is I don't know I can't remember the, the musical theory term at this time okay I am not like university of whatever music school professor I'm just making this worse for myself I don't okay I don't know the exact term but it it you have that that opposing motion that adds like a little bit of extra flavor and like when you when you fit the pieces together, you're just like, oh my gosh, this is like much richer in in a harmonic sense, and that's why it sounds so just weird. Like that's where they get the weirdness in this song, and it's and it really translates well to a menacing tone. Yeah, well, yeah, because that's that's, that's true. That's, true that's too. the point. That's yeah, that's a good point. Now that you say that, it is kind of it is kind of menacing. Man, I just it that's. That's the same uh, chords that are in, um, is it Dancing in the Moonlight? The opening song for um, Selling England by the Pound. Oh, Dancing with the Moonlit Night. Dancing with, yeah. Yes. And it's used in such a different way. It's like we're in a different, we're in a completely different um, decade with a different genre. It's kind of like sort of post-prog. We went from pog prog to post-prog-ish, new wave, kind of, whatever you want to call Duran Duran. I guess they're new wave. We did talk about that earlier. We'll, we'll just say they're new wave. It's we'll the easiest the label to use. <laughs> yeah. Even if and, it's not technically the most correct one. And and it's that same, it's those same notes, but you get such a different feel from it. Both of them are kind of very sinister and a little bit dark and whatever. But this is like, they turned it into like a dance song. Like you want to get up and do like a line dance and you hear the claps and you want to like do the footloose dance where you like touch your heels to both your hands and then like spin around and like do the cha-cha, you know, the whole thing. All right, everyone, do the union of the snake. That's what it sounds like. That's literally, oh my gosh. That's that's the feeling that I get. Uh when I look to the West and my spirit is crying for leaving. That's another episode. Anyway, I'm going to cut myself off. I'm getting off the soapbox. That's, that's the end.
<laughs> All right. <laughs> so now we're going to finally start to slow things down a little bit. Ooh. Yes. So so back to Rio. Save a prayer. Is this a deep cut? Would you say? No. This was this was uh, another hit off that record. Although it was one that I was not aware of before. Like, uh, it's it was it was a fairly big hit. Like it was as big as Rio and Hungry Like the Wolf is was at the time, but. It's a song that hasn't been remembered as iconically as the other two were. And, you know, compared to other songs later like Reflex and Union of the Snake and A View to a Kill and Notorious and it's it's kind of a, it's kind of become almost a deep cut, yet at the same time, like any Duran fan would would say, No, this is one of the highlights, always has been. Hmm. Yeah, because I like I, I never heard it, but like you said, I mean we're slowing things down, but we still got still got the keyboard loop. That yeah, adds and, that uh, blue. Oh, that that keyboard loop it, may, it makes you feel like you're about to go fight the final boss. Oh yes, oh my gosh, it does. And towards the end, when they like turn up the the modulation or whatever tremolo. Wow! 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 Yeah. yeah. When I first heard that, I'm like, oh, this sounds really bad. And then the second time I heard it, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's that part again. I love that part. <laughs> like, it grew on me so quickly that it's just – it was such a, it's such a weird decision to do something like that. Man, every – I feel like every decision in this song is quite weird. Yeah. It's – it's. I've never heard a song that sounds like this. It's, it's a very unique-sounding song. It's it's got this weird exotic tone to it, mm-hmm. which made sense that they filmed the video for it in Sri Lanka. Ooh. oh, that makes so much sense. Yeah, which is also like... where they filmed the video for "Hungry Like the Wolf." They they did three videos there. They did "Hungry Like the Wolf," "Save a Prayer," and "Lonely in Your Nightmare." It, which it sounds you want to talk about a great deep cut. It, it sounds like from that region of the world, like very, very, and yet, like and yet Himalayas. not in an obvious beat you over the head way. Yeah, yeah, not like ooh, we're gonna use some instruments from that region and do the scales and everything. I don't know how they did it. It's it's the atmosphere. Yeah. Oh, you know what it is? Might be the harmonic minor. Oh, okay. That'd be the harmonic minor, but you can do it. You can do whatever you want with a harmonic minor. I mean, you can make it sound like an evil, like, 18th century, like, wizard overlord, or you can make it sound weird and exotic like they did. And they were, I guess they were able to, they were able to use that music theory to their advantage, whether they were doing that intentionally or not, whether they knew what they were doing, they still did it. I'm it gonna. Great. I'm gonna say that they didn't because they have been very vocal about not having any formal music training. So there you go. That they they pretty much every all their great music, uh, like advanced music decisions they made were kind of they they happened upon them. They just they they found something that felt right and it happened to be something that was a bit advanced. They, they had that. good ears and good. They got that intuition, yeah. And you, you get you get tight harmonies. 
again. Mm-hmm. Wow. Oh, yeah, the harmonies are sick on this song. How many this is... takes would it have gotten to be just, like, perfect? I yeah. Mean, perfectly and, in time. And so deeply layered. Yeah. Man. It's, it's, it's not like those um, kind of, like, Beatles harmonies where it's like, ah, oh, you can kind of tell that there's a little bit difference on, like, the syllable here and there or whatever. It sounds like he's putting himself through like a harmonizer and it's just every single like word is perfectly in time with all of the overdubs. It's pretty immaculate. Yeah. Oh, it's so impressive. It's so impressive that a vocalist would have such a good sense of rhythm. Wow. Yeah, this is, this is, this is one of the key highlights of Rio. It's mm. it's one of those songs again. It's it's a shame that it's not as well known as the other big ones. I mean, I understand why. It's 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 a bit more experimental, a bit weirder, as well as it's it's slower paced. And Duran is usually most remembered for their faster paced songs. Mm-hmm. But gosh dang, this is one of those ones when I this was one of the songs that I had heard. Uh, Uncle Joshy play uh, all the time at work, and I never knew what it was called. I thought it was called The Morning After. Uh, and, I, and, I, and this was the main one I remembered hearing and just going, wow, this is really cool. This Is this a Duran song? And he was just like, yeah. And I, I remember looking for it afterward, and I could not... It annoyed me because I couldn't find a song called The Morning After anywhere. And I was just like, I'm sure that that's what this song is called. Because they say it over and over again, mm-hmm. and then it was it was funny because I was uh, I was putting together my my first like hypothetical set for this episode. It's usually before I really start the research, I'll kind of take the songs that I'm just like I feel like I know these songs, and I'll at least start with these, and then if I find anything else better along the way, I'll switch them out, mm-hmm. just to at least give me something to start listening to. And um, I didn't know six Duran songs for me to just pick some and start. And so I was just looking through like their biggest hits and I saw this song called Save a Prayer. And I was just like, oh, wow, this is this is one of their highest charting singles. Let's let's just put it on there and see what it's like. And I turned it on. I was just like, oh, that's it. That's the song that I remembered from working on those houses. And and it's the morning after song. It's the morning after song. I found it. So, what what is the morning after? What is the song about? It's about a one night stand. Ah, that makes and, sense. <laughs> yeah, and about the um, the in the now aspect of it. Just you know, it's don't don't say a prayer for me now. Say pretty much just saying just like don't worry about tomorrow he's just like anything important or or noteworthy or long term that you're thinking about don't don't worry about it right now it can wait till tomorrow you know it's it's okay even if there isn't a tomorrow you know what what's more important is what's happening right here right now this this could be our only moment together so let's just live in the now 
and tomorrow will worry about itself. That's okay. That's that is a very uh, is it? This is a very eighties thing. Like ah, uh, live in the moment, guys. Ah, uh, yeah. Ah, uh, come on, guys, live in the moment. Live in the moment, yeah. I've just see. Here's my problem. I've been watching a lot of Rick and Morty recently. Okay, so everything I say, I just. I put through the Morty filter, so it's just like, ah, oh, geez, or hey, guys, let's, hey, you know, it's a problem. I, maybe that's that. That might be like a psych study, like why I identify with Morty versus like Rick or Jerry or something. I've that never watched that show, so I couldn't tell you. That would be a very interesting uh, psych study if there's any, you know, psychology professors or graduate students or somebody listening. You never know. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe it's a really bad one, and I have no idea what I'm talking about. Uh, anyway, but we we don't live we don't live in the world of Rick and Morty. We live in a rather ordinary. Oh world. yeah, I sensed you were going there. Woo! I knew it. All right, this is wow. Oh geez, talk about a finale. Yeah, this is a great song. Like this is this is top tier good music podcast right here. It's got this weird like Casey Musgraves golden hour feel to it. It's very timeless. Ah. So this is this is ninety-three. So it helps yeah. that, you know, they're more experienced and they're they've had, you know, many years to be like, oh, these are the kind of songs that are timeless, you know. But at the same time, like this is oh my gosh. Man, it just it shows it shows you how good they were at just like at just moving with the times. Mm-hmm. That this this band that was so known for being this big eighties band was able to just it almost feels effortless the way that they just walked into the nineties were just like, Yeah, sure, we can still be relevant. <laughs> yeah, let's get a let's get a top five single. Come on. <laughs> yeah, nuts. a top Top five single at five and a half minutes. Yeah. Well, at at the same time though, this this feels very nineties. Like it's it's like you could totally see a uh, a black and white video accompanying this uh, with yeah. some with some slow mo and like it's it's very mature sounding, very mm-hmm. introspective, very brooding, um, kind of like. L- you know, let's let's look outwards at the world, and you know, it's about feelings and anguish and mm-hmm. and all of that. So uh, it's it fits so well in with the '90s, and yet at the same time, you can you can still identify that it's Duran Duran, mm-hmm. but at the same time, you can tell that there's been this very obvious. Uh, growth that has happened because you don't have all of the all of the keyboard loops and the and the the 80s production and and feel to it it it's it's them yet it's different it's it's that perfect balance to where you aren't confusing people 
And yet at the same time, you're not like just completely selling out to where it's very obvious that you're just trying to get a big hit in a new. That's a very I... complex set of emotions that I just detailed. Yeah. But yet um, at the same time, that just shows like how good they were at making that that transition step. I am going to be completely honest with you. I thought this was like in the middle of their 80s run because like it fits. Or like, yeah, it maybe, does. Maybe if it was like on their first first record, because it it doesn't sound like sonically like their other stuff. Like you don't have the keyboard loops and whatever, but it sounds from a philosophical point of view the music is kind of like the same writing style and everything. Like it's still spirit because again, just right. yeah, it's, it's still them. They didn't write anything that doesn't fit with them. Mm-hmm. It's, it's still a Duran Duran song. And so what is, why... what is this Duran Duran song about? So this song is actually the uh, end of a trilogy of songs. Oh, no way. Okay. That's making me want to listen to it, like the whole trilogy. Um, it's this is easily the best song of the trilogy. Oh, okay. but it's a it's about Simon Lebon processing his grief over one of his friends committing suicide, mm. and trying to understand it and and heal through that process. So pretty pretty heavy subject matter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's there's so many great aspects to this song. Like you've got that great little recurring guitar line, the the chorus is is so powerful, and that that ending when it's when he goes to the falsetto. Oh yeah, it just mm-hmm. it really leaves you. In a in a very emotionally charged space. Yeah, you, and you get you got the the right amount of reverb for it, you know, make you feel like you're kind of floating. Mm-hmm. Oh man, that is such a good chorus. It's a very it's a it's a very music theory incorrect chorus, but sometimes that's how you get the best stuff. And I mean, mm-hmm. like it, it, the the chemistry of how the notes work together, the melody with the chord progression, just like oh my word, the harmony is perfect. Oh gosh, ah, oh, the supporting instruments just complete the whole feel, man. Um, yeah, listen to it again. Duran Duran, they they know how to do it. This this song was the song that kind of made me want to start the set over again. And then of course you start with Rio, so it's just like, oh man, that was such a good decision to start the set over again. And just like listen to this thing front to back, front to back, front to back. Just like over and over again. It was like a drug. Hopefully not cocaine unfortunately man that just really that really sucks anyway that was, that's that's a part one conversation all right
Well, there's our set, guys. Yeah, I'm now really curious to to hear your final thoughts because it sounds like you're getting quite excited. I I'm so yeah. I was very excited this week, so I'm very excited to share that. So anyway, all right. So we'll take another break, and when we come back, we're gonna finish up this episode on Duran Duran. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everyone, to the Good Music Podcast. We have been talking about Duran Duran, two Durans, and we just finished talking about the six songs in our set. Just as a recap, those songs were Rio, A View to a Kill, Hungry Like the Wolf, Union of the Snake, Save a Prayer, and Ordinary World. And the way that you can go listen to those songs is there's a link in the description of the episode that takes you to a Spotify playlist. You can listen to not just the songs in this episode, but all the songs from our previous episodes as well. I highly recommend that you uh, go and listen to these songs, even if you have heard them before, even if you are a Duran fan. Uh, Duran Duran fan fan. Yeah. Um, hearing them in this order, I guarantee will give you a brand new experience with them. So make sure that you go check those out. It would be a shame if you listened this far in and that you didn't listen to the songs and be like, what are you doing, man? So go check. And now it's time for our final thoughts. So Grant, you were getting pretty excited at the end of our last segment. So now I'm really curious to see just how much your view has changed on Duran Duran. Yes. Um, that's a good question. I don't know if I could really put myself, because I started at like an uninformed five, four if I was aware of Hungry Like the Wolf. My opinion on that song has changed given the context of a, the set, and B, just knowing more about the band and, and that, you know, they write great music. They're not a one-hit wonder. Hungry Like the Wolf is not as annoying once you realize that. It's actually quite good once you realize that, like, oh my gosh, they put they put work into this song. They put work into all their songs. This was off, like, a legendary album. And, and understanding that historical context kind of makes the song better which is such a weird thing to say out loud it sounds really pretentious but like that's just that's the way i feel about it and you know this is the way i feel about it but i don't know if i could put myself any higher than a six because like obviously these are the only songs that i know i know i really want to listen to rio i really want i just I, I would also to recommend to listen to the first record. Okay. I'm Even though I didn't put anything from it on the episode, like it was just because, you know, these songs fit together the best. Mm-hmm. But there's some really great stuff on their on their debut album. So there you go. That'll, that'll be my further listening. I could easily shoot up to a seven. Eight is going to be very hard because, you know, it's just... It's a, they're, they're a new... It's a competitive market. It's a very com- it's a very competitive market once you get past seven. Like eight, you have to kind of you have to kind of do something, you know, very special to my listening um, experience. But they have the potential to do that. I mean, the the opening to Rio 
was just so jarring in such a great way that it was just it, it oh man that was an experience i know i know exactly what chair i was sitting in when i first heard that i remember like the time it was like 6:23 p.m. oh my gosh yeah and i was just like wow okay duran duran is actually really really good um so that like that experience that has to that has to shoot Rio to my favorite of the set. If okay. it weren't for, if it weren't for that, it'd probably be Union of the Snake or maybe Ordinary World. Both of those were really really good as well. I mean, because Union of the Snake just gets you moving and grooving, and of course Ordinary World is just masterful. Um, man, you guys have got to listen to these songs because <laughs> if if this set took me from thinking a song was annoying to thinking a song was great imagine what it can do for you wow look at i sound like an infomercial person now oh geez and there's the rick and morty influence anyway yeah rio is great i'm out of six i really like the set i really like duran duran i don't know if i can consider myself a duran duran fan fan but if they came on the radio i would turn the volume up i would jam out if I knew the lyrics and sing along. Oh, yeah. This was a good episode. I really like being on the podcast for episodes like this. That just completely, like, don't even... They they, they blindside you. You're just like, I didn't even think Duran Duran was, like, a serious band. I, th- I thought they were just kind of like, uh, some people are into them. But no, here we are talking about, like, a very important, very important force in the world of music with some very, very good music. That people, you know, critics highly regard, and it's just—it's good to be informed about those things at, at a very base level. And it's just—it's also good to just listen and talk about some good music. We were talking um, between the sets. There's like, oh my gosh, this is such a good episode, and we talk about artists that you know I love all the time. And sometimes recording for those artists is hard because it's like there's so much to say, and you just end up, you know, not saying the right things but it was just it was so easy to talk about this episode because all of the feelings were so fresh to me and that's like i don't experience that very often but every time i do experience it it's it's on the podcast and i hope that 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 experience is something that you guys will get as well if not from this set hopefully from from an episode in the future so Anyway, thanks, you guys, for listening. Now, the main feature, of course, that we've all been waiting for, Lucas's final thoughts. Prepare to have your mind blown. Oh, what? You're putting that <laughs> pressure on me? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, I, maybe you're not going to blow our minds. Or uh, I mean, I wasn't expecting to blow minds. I was just going to say what I thought. <laughs> okay. Um, well, now you have to. I'm sorry. I know. Gosh. So, oh, but before we do that, what was, uh, so you said Rio was your favorite. Okay. Yes. I realized as I was asking that you were. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So Duran Duran, man, I gotta, I gotta blow some minds now. (laughs) So I would say that I am sitting very solidly in the seven range. Mm. I've realized I feel like I understand now why Duran Duran is great. You know, like 
Rio and Hungry Like the Wolf and A View to a Kill were like the three that I really knew going into this episode. And I would I would have told anyone that I loved all three of those songs and that I liked Duran Duran. But n- I never like took the time to understand like why, first off, why those three songs in particular are so good. As well as like what are the things that made Duran Duran not only such a great band but such an important one as well looking through all of that and just realizing that they have left a permanent stamp on the 80s not just with their music but on the grand scope of 80s pop music like it a large part of it rests on their shoulders and on their influence i would say that uh we would not have half of the great iconic 80s one hit wonders without them that <laughs> they they inspired a lot of those bands and really opened the door for new wave to con- not that new wave wasn't big before but it got a lot bigger once they came in so um just really understanding just the 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 gravity of their influence and just continuing to understand what makes them tick how they write songs, how they play, how they are inspired. Uh, it made for just a such a fun experience overall. The 80s is such a fun genre, especially when you get into just the, the crazy 80s pop that's going on. And this, I realize now how overdue I was getting to this group. Mm. And I've gotta I've gotta agree with you that with Rio being my favorite. Woo! Rio just has the special sauce. Was it Harry's favorite or was that the Union of the Snake? Uh Harry's favorite was uh a view to a kill. Oh. But now that's his favorite of that set his favorite overall is hungry like the wolf but the muse version the muse version yeah it's it's not great and i i'm kind of disappointed in him for <laughs> liking the muse version over the original uh, but it's just because that's what he heard first okay well you know it's just that's like if you it. were to ask him do you <laughs> like Duran Duran's A View to a Kill or Muse is Hungry Like the Wolf more, he would say Muse is Hungry Like the Wolf. So you could say technically that's his favorite? <laughs> I don't know. It's a, it's a weird kind of set of qualifiers, but, you know. <laughs> well. Uh, but he he loved these songs. He he got very into them. Yeah, I, I believe that. He also... I- he he liked Union of the Snake because it sounded silly. I'm finding that that's a continual uh, qualifier for why Harry likes a particular song. I I was literally listening to this set today, and I was thinking, you know, I bet I bet Harry really got into Duran Duran. I bet he downloaded or wanted to download a lot of Duran Duran onto his listening device. Yeah, I I definitely I definitely put a lot of it on there for him. <laughs> yeah. Well, good. He's get he is he is getting a proper introduction to music that I I never got when I was his age. Oh man, I was he's pretty so much far like two songs. 
he's so far ahead of the curve. Yeah, oh be, my god. He's going to be in a good spot. Yeah, yeah really. He's wow. Gonna be, like, I guarantee he's already, like, one of the best listened five-year-olds out there. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's true. And it makes it makes me proud as his old man. Yeah, I can imagine. All right. Well, oh, and one, one more thing I'm going to do is talk about where. Everybody... Oh, right. Ranking. That's a big deal. So we had um, one, two, three. We had Union of the Snake at number eight, Ordinary World at number five, Save a Prayer at four, View to a Kill at three, Hungry Like the Wolf at two, and Rio at number one. Wow, Rio at number one. Man, I, I will tell you, though, it was a real Sophie's choice between Rio and Hungry Like the Wolf. I think that Rio does takes more risks in what it's doing. Mm-hmm. That that really pay off, but then just you know, it's hard to compete with one of the greatest pop songs of a decade. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of like, what do you do? You go with perfect execution or something that was high risk, high reward that that got the reward? And I think that just Rio just slightly ticked forward, but it was it was a very Wow, that's that's good when you're splitting hairs on the top songs. Yeah, it is. It was. It literally was. I felt like splitting hairs because it was. I would say it was almost like minute differences. Yeah, wow. nitpicking in a way. So uh, it was. It, it it is great when it's not just like, well, this is the obvious front runner. It kind of makes things a little boring when you you already know going in what the top song's going to be. Yeah. Yep. So that's our episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. Make sure that you hit the subscribe button. We have new episodes every Monday at midnight next week. We are finally going to be returning to our history of music series. Um, we, we took the month off last month in December to uh, do our uh, end of year special but now it's time to finally return to uh, to our history of music and we're going to be going into a brand new era that is going to last us the entire year whoa okay, that sounds fun though oh it's I'm Man, this this first one we're starting with a bang as well. This is this is going to be one of the. It's one I promise you. Even if you're not into that this kind of music of you know oh that's that's old music. I don't like listening to classical or instrument. Trust me, just for the content alone, you're going to want to tune in next week. So don't skip out on that. Um. And make sure you check us out on Instagram and Facebook. That's where you can uh, get in on the conversation. Let us know what artists you want us to talk about in the future. We do try and do artists that you guys are asking for and not just stuff that I'm arbitrarily picking. Hey, I'm going to do this. Sometimes it gives us ideas to just go, huh, you know what? 
I never thought to do an episode on them before. Sure, let's do it. So that's the best way to be able to uh, uh, to get your opinion on who we should talk about next. But another place you can do that is uh, by leaving us a review on whatever platform you listen on. You can also throw in a little recommendation there. There's also two links in the episode description. One of them takes you to that Spotify playlist. The other one to our Patreon page where you can get access to episodes early as well as access to our exclusive segment, the Bad Music Podcast. And we're going to be talking about Duran Duran's six worst songs. You're going to want to tune in for that. So make sure that you uh, go check that out. It's also a great way to support the channel, help us to continue to do what we love to do most, which is talk about good music. So I believe that's it. We'll see you guys next time. I'm Lucas. I'm Grant. Keep on listening to good music.